0: Last week, we looked at John 14, where Jesus uh, said He was, had gone away to prepare a place for us. If He had gone away to prepare a place, He would come again and receive us to Himself. We um, tried to interpret that, said that some understand that to be the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. I said, you know, I'm not so sure. And then as we're singing this morning, two of the three songs used the word rapture. And I thought, is this a subliminal message from... From Mark Wells or a providential one from the Lord? Maybe I'm almost convinced, all right? I'm kidding. It's good to see everyone. Got a couple of announcements that I want to make, exciting announcements before we jump into God's Word this morning. We are almost finished with this series we've entitled I Am, the seven I Am Statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. This morning is the last of the seven. And next week, we're going to sum it up, but we're going to have a guest preacher, if you will. Not so much of a guest, but many of you know Will and Vicki Hussey in our church. Will and Vicky have two sons, uh, Chase, who's in our church, along with his wife Gabby and their little girl. They also have a son, Chad, who is in our church, along with his wife Dandy. But a couple, of few years ago, Chad and Dandy, along with their two kids at that time, uh, left here and headed to Louisville, Kentucky to Southern Seminary to um, to go and to train for a lifetime of service in the cause of Christ. And Chad is almost done, essentially done, done enough to be able to move back. And so Chad and Dandy, now their three kids are back. And I've asked Chad to preach for us next Sunday to sum up and conclude this series through these 7-I-M statements. And so I hope that if you're in town, that you won't sleep in, that you won't take it off, but that you'll be here to come and support Chad, yes, but to hear the word of God preached from him. And uh, may God bless him and his family as they seek uh, what's next for them. Secondly, you know that throughout this summer, June and July, we've been blessed to have the second graders through the fifth graders in the worship service with us. Uh, We've enjoyed having them to be with us, to sing and to participate and the like. Well, June and July is about over, and August is upon us, and we're going to make a change here at Redeemer that we're really excited about as an elder team. Starting on August 7th, What we're going to do is have our kindergartners through fifth graders, so all of our elementary kids, to join their parents in the worship service up until the sermon begins, at which point they'll be dismissed out the doors to meet their teachers out in the foyer to go on to their class to have a wonderful lesson in God's Word together. We're excited about this as they will get to experience the worship with us as they will get to experience worship with mom and dad, as they will, those of them who have made a decision to follow Jesus, will be able to take communion with mom and dad and with their church family whenever we bring up folks like Travis Williamson and hear about his new mission to, um, he didn't even tell us which country he's going to, but he's going overseas to serve Christ. and. Whenever we show videos of missionaries, whenever we present elder candidates or deacon candidates, whenever we do any other kinds of things, we want those kids to be a part of it, to be able to see it, to witness it, to experience it. And so we're really excited about that. Um, Unlike this summer, where we've also asked them to, if you will, sit through and endure the sermon, they won't have to do that. Uh, we will then dismiss them, and we're going to work very, very hard to make it as smooth a transition from here into the foyer and into their classrooms as we can. Uh, what this will mean for those of us with kids in elementary is if you bring them to the 9:15 Sunday school hour, which you, we hope you will, after the Sunday school hour, you'll need to go and pick them up from their Sunday school class, bring them into worship with you, and then they'll be dismissed, Okay. So it won't be nobody else, the the Sunday school teacher is not going to bring them in here to find you. You're going to have to go and get your elementary kids, bring them into the worship service with you. Um, What it also means is maybe you don't come to the Sunday school hour and you just come for worship. What we will urge you to do is make sure that you check in your kids first. That you go to the check-in, get the tags and all of that good stuff before you come into the worship service. We want to avoid a child not being checked into the system and then let back to the foyer and onto their classroom. All right. So, again, we'll be getting that stuff to you via email, and we'll try to make it as clear as we can on Sunday mornings and the like. But we're really, really excited about that. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15 as we look at the last of the I am statements. me read the passage, then pray, and we'll jump in. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I, also, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray now that as we turn our attention to your word, that you might help me. I seek to be clear, seek to be correct, I pray that you would help me to preach, and to bring your word to bear upon our lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself as well, even as I, that we would hear, that you would give us ears to hear your word to us this morning. Thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's obviously a text about bearing fruit. I certainly want to be fruitful. Sometimes it's hard in ministry. You're not so sure how things are going. Um, Some of my friends know that last fall and early this year, spent a lot of time out on the back porch, building a back porch. And right now I'm in this project of expanding our laundry room and guys ask me they say you like doing that kind of stuff and I said well yeah I do and one of the things I like about it is that I can see the progress as it's going along I can tell when some progress is being made I can tell when it's finished and I can sit back and say hey you know I did a pretty good job but sometimes in ministry it's hard to do that you can't always tell if progress is being made certainly the work is never done you sometimes just have to sit and wonder how's it going Last week, just a gift from God. One of the ladies in our church grabbed me last Sunday afternoon. And she just said, hey, I've been meaning to tell you this for a long time. But I want to tell you, thank you for your ministry. It has changed my family's life. That's like, just a little glimmer of some progress, you know. A little glimmer of fruitfulness. I think we all want to be fruitful All of us are different stations in life. We have different callings from the Lord. All of us have different gifts, different ministries that he's entrusted to us. All of us, different personalities, different stuff that God sovereignly has given to us, is working in and through us that we bring to the table. It's different for every single one of us. Some of ours is more public, if you will. Others more private some were up front others in the back some of it is in front of I don't know 150 200 people others is just with six or seven kiddos in a classroom whatever it might be I think all of us want to be fruitful we want to be used by God in his great kingdom purposes we think about bearing fruit, it is easy for us to think about Galatians 5. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fruits that Christians bear. But I'm not so sure that's exactly what Jesus has in mind in this passage. I agree with A.B. Bruce in his great book, The Training of the Twelve, and others, that in the context of John... Jesus is going away. And as he is going away, he is commissioning his people. A.B. Bruce said it like this. Jesus has a great work for them to do. He expects more than merely don't lose heart. That was from last Sunday in John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. So he says, Jesus expects more than merely don't lose heart at the fact that I'm going away. His heart's desire is that his disciples may be fruitful. The fruit he looks for is the spread of the gospel and the ingathering of souls into the kingdom of God by his disciples. Personal holiness, we might say love and joy and peace and patience, the, that kind of fruit. Personal holiness is not overlooked, but it is required rather as a means towards fruitfulness than it is itself the fruit. So again, I think that the fruitfulness that Jesus is speaking of in this passage is not so much the character qualities that we bear, though that's probably part of it as a means to fruitfulness in ministry, being used by God in kingdom advancing church building, if you will, and not, I don't mean brick and mortar, I'm talking about leading people to Jesus, discipling them in the truth, encouraging them in the Lord, I think that's what Jesus has in mind. All of us want to be fruitful. And Jesus in this passage, I believe, is telling us that it is possible. Verse 1, I'm the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. God the Father is the sovereign one. He is the one who's created all things and who is watching over all things who is guiding all things to their appointed end. He is the great vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. And in verse 2, we are the branches. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. First of all, Jesus is going to give a warning that fruitless branches are in grave danger. Look what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If you look down in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Who are these fruitless branches? Some would say that these are Christians Who lose their salvation. They would point to one little phrase there in verse 2 every branch in me. And they would interpret in me as apparently these folks are in Jesus Christ. They must be Christians. And they are Christians who are taken away, who are gathered up, cast into the fire, and burned. I don't think that's what this passage is teaching. I think the Bible is explicitly clear that those whom God has saved, he will never lose. The book of Romans, it speaks of God calling a people, predestining a people. And those whom he predestined, these he also called. And those whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He looks forward to their glorification and speaks of it as a past event, as if it's already done. And in that incredible golden chain, he loses none of them. Whom he predestines, he calls them. And whom he calls, he justifies them, declares them righteous, makes them his. And whom he justifies, he's going to glorify. Jesus says, I have you in my hand and nobody is going to take you out. I think, along with others, that we press Jesus' metaphor too far. And that he is speaking here of those who maybe associate with Christ, who profess Christ, but in the end show that they do not possess Christ. It is a New Testament reality that some can have a superficial faith. Even a transitory faith. That apparently it looks like they've come to appreciate Christ. And maybe even apparently follow Christ. But if you remember the the parable that Jesus told of the seeds. Some of that seed is on the road. And birds immediately come and pick it up. But some of it is in the rocky soil. And it, it quickly takes root and it sprouts up. And you think, wow, this is great. But then the scorching wind that Jesus interpreted as persecution because of the word comes and it withers away. They apparently made a decision to follow Jesus. But just as soon as it got hard, they were gone. And Jesus said some of it, though, is, is among the um, the tares. And it grows up maybe even for a longer time. And yet eventually it is choked out by the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. That there seemingly is a a commitment to Christ, seemingly a desire to associate with Christ, but as time goes on and as things happen, there's a turning away from Christ. And this is not you and me struggling to walk with Jesus. It's not you and me having our good days and our bad days. This is is a turning away from Jesus that that says, you know what? He's not the Savior of the world. Yeah, I I used to believe that, but I don't believe that anymore. It's, it's It's a being done with Christ. And according to the New Testament, I believe that that is not someone who was saved but is no longer saved. It's somebody who was never really saved in the first place. The Apostle John, you don't have to turn there, talks about them in an interesting way. He said it like this in 1 John 2, verse 19. They went out from us. So the us here is the apostolic band, if you will, of of John the Apostle and those who were part of the church. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. So they they were among us, but they went out from us, but they weren't really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. I think in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, these are those who profess a faith in Christ. But it's a superficial one, a transitory one that does not bear fruit. And the danger is that he takes them away. And in verse 6, that he gathers them up, casts them into the fire, and they are burned. It's a warning. Good gracious! There may be some of you here that years ago maybe you, you, you tipped your hat to Jesus, maybe you you, you prayed a prayer, or you, you walked an aisle. But ever since then, really, Jesus Christ has not meant much to you at all. He hasn't affected your life. You haven't really walked with him. And if somebody asked you, are you saved? You might say, well, yeah, I, 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 put my, I, I made a decision back when I was 12 years old. right?" And, and you talk about a decision that was made, but you don't talk about present reality of relationship with Christ. I would just encourage you. I would encourage you to consider. Indeed, have you not merely tipped your hat to Jesus, but have you bent your knee and said, I want to follow you? I want, I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness, and, and I need your help. to Set your eyes on him. So fruitless branches are in some danger. But then he goes on to a more positive outlook. Fruit bearing branches are cultivated for more. In verse 2, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Well, who are these? These are Christians. These are Christians who evidence with their life that they are vitally connected to Jesus Christ. You've heard me say before that faith is the root, works are the fruit. And that faith is the root and these works that are the fruit is the evidence of the reality of the faith. In theology, we speak of justification and sanctification. Justification is whereby God declares us righteous through Christ. Because of who Christ is and what he did upon the cross, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. We're not made righteous. None of us are. But he declares us righteous. He forgives us of our sins. And then sanctification is that process whereby he makes us more and more like Jesus. And we begin to bear fruit. We become more loving and kind and peaceful. Those fruits of the Spirit. Those evidences of the Spirit in our life. And we say that these are distinct. Justification and sanctification are different things, but they are inseparable. One leads to the other. And if you don't have this one, if there's no sanctification in your life, if there's no fruit, it biblically calls into question the reality of this one. Well, these... These are those that are bearing fruit. Every branch in me that bears fruit. So these are those who are vitally connected to Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit has come in, begun to do his work in their lives. And he says of those that God prunes them, that they may bear more fruit. That's what is hoped for from each and every one of God's people. In verse 2, bear fruit At the end of verse 2, bear more fruit. In verse 5, bear much fruit. And in verse 16, bear fruit that remains. Isn't that awesome? That God wants to and desires from each and every one of us who are His children to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, remaining fruit. God desires in those places where He has put us, in those opportunities to be a witness for Christ, to be a blessing to others for the sake of Christ, He wants to bear much fruit through us, and fruit that remains. Some of you are Sunday school teachers, and you're working with little kiddos. God wants to work in and through you to bear much fruit in those kids' lives. It might be little three-year-olds, little four-year-olds, little five-year-olds running around. You're doing the best you can just to keep them still. But God wants to use you and as he is the vine and you are the branch, work through you to bear much fruit in their lives. Maybe you're working with a little bit older kids, those second and third graders, those fourth and fifth graders. God wants to use you. Maybe you're on the worship team up here, leading us in worship each and every Sunday. And God wants to to use you. He the Christ the vine, you the branch, and through you to bear much fruit, to lead the people of God into worship. Maybe you serve coffee on Sunday mornings. Maybe you greet at the door. Maybe you work at the sound booth. Maybe you just come on Sundays, and maybe you don't have a specific place of service, but you just come with eyes wide open and say, you know what? I'm part of this church family, and I'm going to be here to love today. You're saying hello to folks, and you're encouraging them. Into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into those places where God calls you and me. Again, different stations with different gifts and different ministry opportunities, but in every one of those, big, if you will, or small, public, not so public. God wants us to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. And so he works to do it. First of all, he saves us. I think that's what he means. Jesus means in verse three. "You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So he cleanses us. Secondly, he prunes us, God does. At the end of verse two, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. This is awesome. What this teaches is that God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is intimately and personally involved in every one of his children's lives. You and I are each a branch attached to the vine. And the vine dresser, God, is pruning you and me that we might bear more fruit. He's shaping us, he's molding us, he's changing us, he's sanctifying us. How does he do it? Does it a number of different ways. Andy Stanley has a good list. He speaks of five things that God uses to bring about change in our lives. This might not be an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good one. Practical teaching of God's Word. God's Word is one way. That he prunes the branches. Whether it's you spending time in God's Word and you're reading along, and oh, Oh, man, that's true. Oh, I'm a sinner, Lord. Forgive me. Help me. Where he's changing us by his Word. Or maybe it's a sermon you hear or a lesson that you listen to online or in the car or a Sunday school lesson or whatever it may be. God's Word is an incredible tool that God uses to prune His people. Secondly, is is private disciplines. Practical teaching, private disciplines. That's things like personal Bible reading, and prayer, and fasting, worship, and the like. God uses those things as we consistently engage what others would call the means of grace. These are ways that we put ourselves Through time with God's word or through time in prayer or in worship, we we put ourselves in a place where God's grace comes to us and it changes us. Practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, where we jump in to serve. Whether it's here within Redeemer Community Church or maybe it's another ministry in town, wherever it might be, it's where we, as Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. And every one of us who have jumped into a place of service know that God uses those to stretch us. To shape us. To give us more faith. To cause us to lean into Him more than ever before. Practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry. Number four, providential relationships. Where God just brought somebody into our life. And that's somebody he used greatly to help us grow in our faith. For me, it was a guy named Paul Roberts. I'd come to faith as a young kid at 12 years old. We was just kind of happily going along, as most 12, 13, 14-year-olds do. 15 years old in a football team meeting, and providentially, Paul Roberts shows up on staff with Campus Crusade, student venture, shares the gospel, says we're going to have a Bible study. And I showed up, and for two and a half years, Paul Roberts Discipled me. On to the University of North Texas. And providentially. My RA that first summer was a guy named John Boudreau. He was one of the seniors at North Texas. Senior leader in Campus Crusade. And John Boudreau said let's get up and start praying together. And memorizing scripture together. Then the fall starts and we get moved over to Kerr Hall on the second floor. And providentially Steve Hammond is the RA on that floor. He was another one of the senior leaders within Campus Crusade for Christ and he began to disciple me and Nathan Dagley and some of our other buddies and huge impact, James Skinner and Quint Ditzenberger and others, all of us probably, I hope, could think of providential relationships, somebody or somebodies that God brings into our life that shapes us and then finally pivotal circumstances. Often difficult circumstances, right? That God brings our way to prune us. This is awesome. God is at work in your life, pruning you that you might bear much fruit. Um, Jared had some of the students memorizing Hebrews 12. This uh, week when they were in San Antonio. He was hoping to get, I think, 17 verses out of them. If they could get some verse, he was going to shave. But none of them could do it. Going to shave into Fu Manchu or something like that. Anyway, Macy memorized the first six verses of Hebrews. And I was about, I had it in my head and now I've lost it. But here's what it says. At least one of the verses. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint. When you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. So God saves us. He cleanses us. He prunes us. And then he urges upon us an abiding relationship with Christ. Verse 4. Abide in me. And I and you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Abide, 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 abide. I didn't count them up, but it's a bunch of them. It's the word in this passage. Abide. John, the apostle John, loved this word. It means, at its core, to continue, to remain, to stay. He uses it both doctrinally and morally in First John. We read you these two verses in First John two, verse twenty-four. The apostle John, same guy who wrote this gospel, he said this: "As for you." Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. In that context, what they had heard was the apostolic truth about Jesus, that he was God in the flesh who had come for the salvation of his people. And John was urging upon them to abide in that teaching. A.B. Bruce says of this, Hold and profess the truth I have spoken to you. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? At least, maybe, or at least one aspect of this is that we remain in those wonderful, amazing truths of God's word. That we give ourselves to Christ's teaching and His apostles' teaching in the Scriptures. That through our faithfulness here, staying true here, we are abiding in Christ. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So there's that part of it. The other part, 1 John 3, 24 John put it like this, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. So it's not merely a remaining faithful to the apostolic truth, biblical truth, staying faithful there and abiding in that. Abiding also in the language of Jesus, we'll see here, and in the language of John means obedience to his commands. means to remain, to continue. How did you and I start our Christian life? Broadly, here's how we started our Christian life. We heard the gospel message. We trusted it. I believe that that's true. And we obeyed it. We trusted in Jesus Christ. We put faith in him. Guess what? The Christian life is lived in the exact same way. We hear the word of God. We trust it. And we obey it. Some of the old timers will remember this wonderful song. Some of us youngins know it too. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. How do you get saved? You hear the word of God, you trust it, and you obey it. You believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. Well, how do you get sanctified? How do you grow? You hear the word of God, you trust and obey. You continue, you abide in Christ, you remain. You don't go anywhere. You just trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey. And when we sin, As we will, you confess. You get honest with God. You confess your sins. You thank Him for His grace in Jesus Christ. And you get up and you keep on going. Right? That's how we abide in Christ. You abide in Christ by hearing His Word, by trusting it. Lord, I'm going to believe that Your Word is true. And and obeying it. Trusting and obeying. Trusting. When we stumble... Lord, I confess I I sinned. Thank you for Jesus, for forgiving me. And we get up and we keep on going. We keep on going and we keep on going and we keep on going and we keep on going. There are some results here, I think, if I understand Jesus right. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire, they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think if, I, if I'm, try, I'm trying to understand the flow of Jesus here, and I may have it all wrong, but here's how I think it's going. He calls upon us, He desires us to bear fruit, to bear much fruit, to bear fruit that remains. And to bear that fruit, we must abide in Him. Stay holding on to the truth that He has taught us. To hear His Word and to trust Him and to obey. And as we we abide in Him in that way, He works in us and through us as a vine through the branch to bear fruit. And that part of it, part of this process maybe is answered prayer. This is one of those verses I do not know exactly how to interpret it. Because it seems to speak with such definitiveness. But I'll say this. I think the prayers that Jesus has in mind in verses 7 and 8 are fruit bearing prayers. They are prayers for fruit. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In context, the whatever you wish is is the prayers of you and me to bear fruit, to be fruitful in his calling upon our lives. It's not merely that we pray for the little hangnail on our our finger, you know? It's not merely that we pray that we get that new job. It's not merely that we pray that we get that new house or whatever it is that we... It's not merely that we pray for our health. All of those things, completely okay to pray for. But I think in this context, Jesus has in mind kingdom-minded prayers. Gospel-saturated prayers. Holiness-pursuing prayers for the sake of His mission. Fruit prayers, much fruit prayers, fruit that remains prayers. And I think that's so because of verse 8. By this is my Father glorified. By you praying for it, God answering it, He's glorified. So in this process of fruit-bearing, I think Jesus is calling us to fruit-bearing, word-shaped prayers. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Not all of my prayers have ever been, been answered, so I don't know what that means. Here's what I wrote in my notes, and I maybe this is what it means. When my prayers are inclined toward fruit bearing and saturated with the tenor and the values and the priorities of God's will as he, as he has made it known in the word. So when my prayers are inclined toward fruit bearing, so they're not just about gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me which a lot of times my prayers can be that way. Give me, give me, give me. Help me, help me, help me. But when they're more fruit-bearing, God, would you help me? Would you help me with Steve, with Heath, with Drew, with Kenny? Would you open up doors for them, for me, with them, the gospel? When they're more fruit-bearing. When they are, as I said, saturated with the tenor values and priorities of God's will. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. John, the Apostle John, would, would talk of praying according to the will of God. In 1 John chapter 5. Whenever you and I let Christ's words abide in us, whenever we're saturated with the Bible, whenever we pray... It gives our our prayers a better shot of being according to his word. They're shaped by the tenor, the priorities, the values of God. So they're not so much, gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me. They're kingdom oriented. They're they're gospel saturated. They are holiness pursuing and the like. When that's true, when my prayers are inclined toward fruit bearing, saturated with tenor values, priorities of God's will and his word, Maybe the best I can say, and this is just me. I have a greater expectation of God's open ear and willing heart. That's all I'm going to say. Let's close with this. As we seek... To abide in Jesus and bear much fruit, it leads to joy. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We talk a lot around here, maybe not as much as we should, but we want to what? Joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. A life with Jesus Christ is not a life of drudgery. A life of... With Jesus Christ is a life of joy. Apostle Peter said of of our salvation, in this you greatly rejoice with joy. Oh, shoot, now I forget. Indestructible, something like that. We sing about it too. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, first and foremost. Joy, second. Joy. Joy. Christ says that in following me, in abiding in me, in trusting me, in obeying me, trust and obey, trust and obey, stay right here with me, abide in me. I want you to do this because I want you to have joy. Life of disobedience to Jesus Christ is not a life of joy, and it is the lie from the enemy that you and I will often believe that joy and satisfaction and life is found elsewhere rather than right smack in the middle of obedience to God and His Word. Jesus said, there is joy, fullness of joy to be found in Him. Michael Card love him he wrote a song, I forget the name of it, but it went, part of it went like this. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and a wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. Joy, freedom, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Close with this. Jesus is about to leave. He has told his disciples that. That he was going away. One day he would come again. But while he had gone away, that they were not to be troubled at heart. And they were to know that while he was gone, he was not gone. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That while he was gone, they could stay vitally connected to him an amazing thing it's what we mean when we talk about a personal relationship with jesus christ you and i can have fellowship with christ moment by moment we can abide in him as we hear his word trust him and obey but we we remind ourselves that he was going away he will come again in the meantime don't let your heart be troubled And bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. He is sending out his people with great expectation. This is, if you will, a great commission text. It's not merely about us producing love and joy and peace and patience and all that great and wonderful stuff. This is a great commission text. This is, I'm going away. And while I'm gone, I want you to bear fruit. And I will be with you. So we close with this. One author said, They would be set out on the great Gentile mission after the death and resurrection of their Lord. Not under the impulse of their own initiative, but with a sense of divine commission and with the assurance that they had available the strength with which to discharge it. And so we might say that this is just like Jesus promised in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going away. I'm going to come back. Don't let your heart be troubled. In the meantime, go bear fruit. Much fruit. More fruit. Fruit that remains. And I'm with you. Abide in me. And I will through you work in you and through you to bear much fruit. Let's pray together. Father, as we head out these doors. Back home into the neighborhoods. Tomorrow into the workplaces. With the kiddos. All around town. Your promises that you never leave us nor forsake us. And your call to us is fruit-bearing. And you promise us your presence and your enabling strength if we would abide in you. So help us to do that. Help us to trust your word and to obey. Lord, help us men, husbands, to love our wives. Help the wives to lovingly respect their husbands. Help us with our kids to show patience, kindness, and love to them. Pray for it brothers and sisters as they go out into the workplace that can be a hard place to live for Christ would you help them would you help them to to trust you to obey you and and in so doing let their light shine in those places Lord our little ones and the students teach them as well what it means to abide in Jesus Trust, to obey, to confess. To trust, obey, confess. Thank you for Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection through which all we have been cleansed. And thank you now for his present ministry who is with us Empowers us, enables us. What a gift. Go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you this week. You are dismissed.